0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Well, again, good morning to all of you. Uh, my name is Jay, and a good morning to all of you who are watching and joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us this morning as well. There's just one last thing in the life of our church that I want to call your attention to, and then again, we're going to take a brief moment to pray together. But uh, on Christmas Day, um, Bernice Gadbaugh went home to be with the Lord. Yeah, and the, the Gadblads have worshipped here and been part of our church family for many, many years. In fact, when Jamie and our family first came many years ago, they were one of the first families we got to meet and uh, got to know. and. Um, for those of us who know and, and love the Gadbaz and Bernice, boy, we're going to miss her. But we have that certain hope that she's with the Lord. And we just want to let you know as well that uh, a celebration service of her life will be taking place on January 27th. That's a Saturday, and that'll be one thirty right here at Grace. So I'd just like to lead us in, in praying for the family as well. So Lord, we thank you that Bernice is with you, and the hope that we talk about this morning is real and tangible. Um, When someone knows you and loves you, they go to be with you when they die. And God, that that is a hope that we anchor ourselves to here this morning. But we also, we think of the Gadbaugh family, and understandably they are grieving and mourning her, and we pray that you would comfort them. Um, with the promise of your word, with the reality of your presence, with the the true hope that we all have in you. And Lord, um, we pray that as a church family, we would circle around them, pray for them, love them, be present with them. But again, we thank you for Bernice's life. And we thank you um, for the blessing that she has been to each one of us who have known her. And again, Lord, we ask that you would um, make your word come alive to us now as we remember your promises, remember Um, what you have declared. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Sarah alluded to earlier, we do start a new sermon series here this morning, and this is a series study in the book of Nehemiah. And I love this book. This is an Old Testament book for those of you who may not be familiar with it. But one of the reasons why I love this book is it's it's personal for me. God has used this book in my life in a profoundly impactful way. In fact, it's no exaggeration to say that I would not stand before you As one of your pastors, if it wasn't for this book and how God spoke to me through this book in my life. So stepping into the time machine and going back about 32 years ago, 32 years ago I was a collegiate and um, I was on a short-term missions trip. Uh, Our church that we were a part of in the town where I went to college had adopted an orphanage down in uh, the Baja in a little town called El Cezal. And every spring break, our high school and college students would, would uh, basically invest our spring break in going down together to this orphanage, and we would serve the orphanage and do projects, and we did other stuff in the countryside as well. And uh, I started going on this as a freshman, really. My freshman year, I started participating in this trip. But now it's my senior year, it's my last trip, and we're doing a study through the book of Nehemiah. And I'll never forget sitting in this old dilapidated church bus that was a miracle that it got us from Ashland to Mexico every year. And I'm sitting in this bus, and I'm going through this study on the book of Nehemiah, and it really was a defining moment for me in my life. I'm going to graduate in two months. I just got engaged to my girlfriend, uh, Jamie, so she was my fiancé. And um, in two months, I'm going to graduate, and I have no idea what I'm going to do. I mean, I have a degree, great, but what am I going to do with my life? Really, not a clue. And it was in this defining moment when God spoke to me powerfully through this very book that we're going to spend the next several weeks journeying through together. But I remember just sitting in that bus, going, well, what now? And that's kind of a a lead-in really for all of us in some way, shape, or form with with a new year. I mean, I know there are some of you, as we crest into this new year, where you're in a similar season of life where you're asking, what, what now? What's, what's next? Now, some of you, I know from talking to you, have made the usual New Year's resolutions. You know, you have these goals. You have these ideas. You've got a pretty good idea, actually, of where you want to go. And then there are others of you who just can't wait to close the chapter of 2023 and open, hopefully, a better chapter of 2024. And yes, there are some of you, like we'll see with Nehemiah today, who are in some kind of crisis in your life. And things are hard. Things are difficult. The walls of your life proverbially have crumbled, and you're just, you're just trying to get equilibrium. You're just trying to figure things out, trying to hopefully rebuild things. And wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, as we go into this new year, I assure you, I promise you, really, this book has something for you. This is a book of profound wisdom. It's a book of incredible hope, of purpose, of direction. And we need all those things, do we not? So as we dive into this series, I want to encourage you to do one of two things. The first is to take out your phone, and yes, believe it or not, in church, you're being asked to take out your phone, even though some of you already have your phone out, and you're playing a game. I hope you get high score. But all that being said, take out your phone for another purpose. If you haven't already, I'm going to ask you to download this app to your phone. It's called the Bible Project app. Many of you are familiar with this. You can also go to the website, but the app actually has more functionality, and my strong encouragement to you is as we start into this series, or really with any series, is to go to the Bible Project and to look at the overview that they give you of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's about eight minutes, so unfortunately it's a little longer than we can take time to watch together. Sometimes we've done that together. We've watched these videos as an overview together. Don't have time to do that this morning, but you have time to download that and to watch that later. Because really, as we progress through this book, we're going to be referencing and, and reaching back to some things that that video is actually going to lay out. It's going to provide some really strong foundation for where we're going. But, but let's really get to the heart of things. What, where is this book going to take us? What is it really going to speak to as we consider where we're going? Well, to answer that question, we have to remember what was going on here. And here are some dates and a little miniature timeline, a very rough timeline, and a simple timeline for you. It's on the bottom of your sermon notes, so you don't need to write it out if you've got those. But just some things to remember as we look at the setting of all that's taking place here. For starters, the, the Jewish people were in exile, History tells us that in 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire swept down into that area. They were the second major world superpower. The first had preceded them. It was known as the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians actually had come down in 722 B.C., and they had obliterated what was known as the northern kingdom, the ten tribes there of Israel. They were completely gone. They had been deported and exiled. And then in 586, the Babylonians come down, and they take care of the last two tribes in Jerusalem. And so then they're exiled... To Babylonia. And you can see in this timeline there's a number of, of historical things that take place during this time, but what I really want to call your attention to is there's three real movements that happened between Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah with the people returning to the Promised Land. God had promised them that after 70 years, as noted in places like Jeremiah 25, they would begin to return to the Promised Land, to Jerusalem. Zerubbabel led the first wave that did that and they rebuilt the temple. The second wave followed with Ezra and they began to rebuild the community and the law was reintroduced to the people and now we come to the third movement and that's really what Nehemiah is about where Nehemiah will lead a contingent of exiles now to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem but really this speaks to some very powerful questions for you and me. One of the many being does God really keep his promises? You ever felt like God isn't keeping his promise to you? You know, if you'll remember with me back to last week when we ended our Songs of Christmas series, where Sean preached that wonderful sermon, if you didn't get to hear it, about Simeon. Simeon waited his entire life for the Messiah to come. You ever waited your entire life for something? And I, and I wonder in that waiting if, if you ever doubted God's promise. Because God had told him that he was actually going to get to see the Messiah. And at the end of his life, he he does. But he waited and waited and waited. And so often, waiting time feels like wasting time, does it not? We don't like to wait. Confession, I don't like to wait. And in many ways, I'm a product of my culture and so are you. We are taught and told and indoctrinated constantly that waiting for something is really just a waste of time. No one likes to wait. You know, over Christmas. The the Christmas week I had to go to uh, the post office and I walk up to the post office and the line is literally out of the post office area proper down the hall into the opening doors of the Gresham Post Office. And I'm going, seriously? And here's everybody with their phones out trying to redeem the time because none of us like to wait. And so often we associate waiting for God as wasting time. And that absolutely is not true. And we'll see that play out here in in this amazing book. But how do we respond when God disappoints us? Because in some way, shape, or form, at some point, you and I will do business with this. We will, we will feel disappointment with God. So how do, you, how do you make sense out of that? How do you keep failures, discouragements, difficulties from being what defines you? I mean, the the people at this point in history had had an epic fail for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Literally, God had told them, if you live like this, if you don't trust and obey me, eventually I will judge you to the point that you will lose the promised land. You will lose everything you've ever known. And that's exactly what happened. They were in a place of exile because of their own choices. And here's one for you. How do we live out our faith in the face of fear? Talk about relevant for you and me. We live in a culture that is swimming, that is drowning in fear. Just yesterday, I got this little paper. It's a brand new paper, I guess. I didn't recognize it, and they're sending out, you know, free starter editions. And I'm looking at the headlines in this paper, and I thought, what is wrong with this picture? And as I looked at every single major headline, simply because I'm thinking through this frame of reference of what we were going to talk about today, the one common denominator that tied all those headlines together was fear, every single one of them. And I thought, there it is. We live in a culture that's drowning in fear. How do you choose to live out faith in the face of fear? And, and how do you follow the Lord for that matter when it's hard? When it costs you something. When you face opposition. When it creates conflict. When there is resistance. When you know you're doing what God wants you to know do. And it feels like you're getting kicked in the teeth for it. Man, this is where we're going in part with this book. It will speak to all these things because this is a book of hope. So if you need to rebuild your life, rebuild the walls of your life, if you need to renew your hope, this is the book for you. And just for disclosure, another church many years ago did a similar series through Nehemiah. It's called Twin Lakes Church. And many of... um, uh, of the things that I'll be talking about have been shaped by that series as well because I just thought it was so well done. But let's, let's cut to the chase. Let's dive into the book. So here we go, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and understand that it's been about 85 years now that they have been and that Nehemiah has been in exile. So the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaleah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So he gets this firsthand report. And, you know, scholars are, are I don't want divided, but there's diverse opinions about was he truly Nehemiah's blood brother, or was he a brother spiritually? We don't know, but this is what we do know. It's a first-hand report, and this is what they told Nehemiah. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And again, there's so much swimming around in here, but the bottom line is the people are, they're helpless. They're living like ghosts in the ruins of Jerusalem. They're defenseless. They, they, they feel like they've been abandoned. And in the ancient world, the health and welfare and status of your city was often associated with the power of your God or gods. And so in the eyes of everyone around them, you know, their God has left the scene. And they've... They've been disgraced. And once again, for you and me, you ever felt like God has left the scene of your life? Ever felt like you've been abandoned by him? Because that's how this people felt. You know, sometimes it feels like the walls of your life and mine are, are crumbling. Man, I can think of some years fairly recently, that were just awful, quite honestly. And I felt like the walls of my life were just sitting in rubble at the, at the base of my feet. And some of you were there this morning. You're in crisis. You're in pain. You're, you're struggling. You're, you're in difficulty. You, ha- you have a family that's fracturing. You have a marriage that's struggling or maybe that is headed towards ending. You have friendships that are, that are conflicted. I mean, man, those things are hard. But those aren't the only walls that that we deal with. Sometimes it's the walls of our heart. Maybe for some of you, it feels like your walls are crumbling. I mean, yeah, it's a new year, but the walls of your heart. Here you are once again, entrapped and ensnared by that very sin, by that very addiction, by that very thing that you wish you could walk away from. And it doesn't feel like you can. Here it is again. And how do we respond when when those things happen? Well... This isn't a one, two, three step formula, but it's instructive with how Nehemiah responds in the heart of crisis, when things are hard and difficult. This is what he does. When I heard these things, when he heard about his people, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I think there's some instructive things here for you and me. He, he refocuses, for starters, on God. And there's some very specific ways he does that. He mourns, and mourning is just simply expressing your feelings to God. Do you do, you do that? Do you tell God how you really feel? And we're not talking about cursing God, but are you, are you real with God when you're disappointed with him? Do you, do you tell him? Well, what if God knew I felt that way? He already does, believe me. And we get this idea in our head that we have to repress our, our feelings or we have to act a certain way. And with this amazing God, we can be real. And, and there is a place to mourn. And this isn't about mindfulness or wise therapeutic counsel. This is biblical wisdom. This is, this is biblical maturity. We don't repress our feelings. We express them. We we confess them. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does here. But look what he does as we jump to this amazing, beautiful prayer that he prays. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. And you'll see this through Nehemiah. And it's just, it's so amazing. It's one of the amazing things about him as a leader. But it's one about the, one of the amazing things about him as, as a God worshiper. Is he, he owns his sin. His selfishness. I mean, he's there and, and the family of God is there. Really, the, the people of God, rather, are there because of their own broken, selfish, sinful choices. And... And he owns it. And notice, he says we. He identifies himself with his people, which is remarkable. And then it tells us that he fasts. And again, you've heard a little bit about that with what Sarah introduced with fasting being a spiritual practice and unfortunately when it comes to fasting we can gravitate to some extremes we go to this extreme where well you know i don't know anything about that and that's kind of weird i'm not going to do that or maybe we go to this other extreme where oh yeah i've heard about fasting that's for pastors and missionaries and super spiritual people which i'm not so but fasting is just a tool but it's a very powerful tool to incline our hearts towards God, to position ourselves to hear from him. And it's something that we're exploring together as a church family. You heard Sarah mention it. We've got a class coming up. We're also going to be pursuing it together in our communities here, our small groups here at at Grace. And, And that's because it's something that helps us deepen our intimacy with God. But he also asks God for help. And praying is more than that. It's listening and talking to God. But in this context, in, in what he's doing here, he's asking for help from God. And, and we're going to do that too. Not just for ourselves, but for our community. If you go to our events page, this is what you'll see is one of the, one of the icons there. You click on this. We're going to be starting 21 days of prayer for our community here. Um, not this Monday, but next Monday. So not tomorrow, but next week. We're praying for the mayor. We're praying for the police chief, the fire chief. We're praying for our civic officials. And um, we've already reached out to them. All of them responded and said, this is what I'd like you to pray for. We'd love for you to join us. And if you can't be here at 630 in the morning, which is, you know, understandable for a lot of you, we get that. You can still join us via Zoom that night, or you can just do this on your own. But just go to our events page and click on that. But look what he prays. He says at the very end of his prayer, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And he's talking about the king, and we'll get there in just a second. I was cupbearer to the king. So here we go. It's been four months since Nehemiah has prayed this prayer, and now he's before the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, because that's what the cupbearer did, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid and with good reason. We'll stop there for just a minute. Why was he afraid? Because to speak to a Persian king out of turn before you were spoken to first was your life. You would lose your life, literally, if you spoke to the king before he spoke to you. And so he's very afraid. But he says to the king, may the king live forever. Okay. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Wow, that's bold. And he takes this very first scary step. And honestly, as I think through the course of my life and my spiritual journey, the hardest steps have always been the first steps. That, that, that hard conversation you have to have, that, that difficult decision that you need to weigh out and eventually make, that, that, that maybe confrontation you need to have. You know, for me, I'm thinking back to 32 years ago. I'm sitting in this bus going through this study of of Nehemiah, and the words of one of my mentors was ringing through my head. He used to always love to say this. Psalm 37, 4 through 6 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the delights of your heart. Now, that doesn't mean we get whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want, but it does mean that God has created all of us with a bent. And... You know, the conventional wisdom out there says, okay, well, go find what you love to do and then figure out a way to get paid to do it, right? With your vocation, with what you do. And that sounds great when it actually works that way. But there's some time-tested biblical wisdom there as well. Why not focus your life around what you love to do if you get the opportunity to? And this isn't true for all of us, but for many of us, we get to do what we love to do. And so I'm sitting in that bus thinking, I'm going to graduate in two months. What in the heck am I going to do with my life? And the Lord very clearly showed me, well, what is it that you love to do? Well, I love you. Okay, keep going. Um, I love to invest into... Your people, I love telling people about you and helping people grow in you. Yeah, and what is it you do every summer? Well, every summer I volunteer my time in student ministry, serving students, and I love being around students, and I love investing into them, and I love giving back to the students in the same church where I grew up as a student. And so the Lord seemed to tell me really clearly, well, duh, why don't you be a pastor? And I immediately said, No. Absolutely not. And so the Lord and I are having this conversation. It's like, well, why not? You love to introduce people to me and to help people grow in me. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And of course, I had all these reasons why, but one of the foremost was my parents. Because my parents had told me and made clear really unequivocally you will not be a missionary, you will not be a pastor. I already blown one of those. I'm on a missions trip, sitting in a bus, right? I'm already a missionary. But they would never go for that. They would be so disappointed. How in the world could I do that? But the Lord also seemed to say, we'll talk about that later. But what's the first step for you with this? I said, well, it's, it's to tell my friends. And I should probably tell my fiance Jamie. She'd probably like to know that too. So take the first step. So... We had the sharing time at the end of those trips where we would you know, stand up and just tell one another, hey, this is what the Lord has been teaching me on this trip or this is what he's been doing in my life. So I stood up in front of my peers and said, I'm going to be a pastor. I don't know how. I don't know what it's going to look like. I have no idea how it's going to work. I am so afraid to steer into what I have to when I eventually go home. But this is, this is what I'm going to do. And then when we got back from Mexico, because remember, this is pre-cell phones, right? I had to get back to a domestic landline, called my ex-girlfriend, now my fiance Jamie, and said, I think this is what God wants for me. But that first step was a tough one. So what are you up against today? And what's the first step for you to trust and obey the Lord? Because we have to remember, faith is not the absence of fear. That is a false dichotomy. Faith is what you do in the face of fear. You can be afraid and still exercise your faith. We see Nehemiah doing it right here. He absolutely was afraid, but he took the first step. And man, was it a bold one. So look as the story goes on. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside me, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, now watch this, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall. Oh yeah, and for the residents I'll live in as well. And because the gracious hand of God was upon me, the king granted my request Now, what is so clear here is that he was ready for this conversation. Nehemiah was ready. He was bold because he had thought this through. He was prepared. He had positioned and planned in advance, if I get this opportunity, I'm going to take it. And look what he gets out of the king. I mean, if you'll read on, he gets these letters that will give him authority to have an armed escort, by the way. He will be escorted by the very nation that exiled them in the first place. They will now escort him and give him safe passage back to Judah and, and Jerusalem. He gets all these materials and resources, and he even had the own sense of purpose to ask for resources for his own house. I mean, I wasn't being greedy. I was being wise because he was prepared. What does it mean When you and I are rebuilding our lives or renewing our hope, trying to trust and obey the Lord, what does it mean for you to be ready for progress? To be ready for God to answer your prayer and and provide and then to take advantage of that. Honestly, for me, this is one of the most difficult steps of these steps that we're talking about here. Because I can find myself thinking about what I don't have. What is going wrong? What is lacking? Or even the unknowns of what if, what if, what if. And that's where the evil one lives. He lives in the what ifs of our, of our fears and our uncertainty. What about focusing on what I do have rather than what I don't have so that I can be ready when the Lord leads and guides and, and directs and provides? You know, something we do in our family very deliberately is every year... Sometime around New Year's, usually it precedes it. Sometimes it's after. But when we can gather the crew together, we collectively together do a thankfulness rerun of the entire last year. And we always fill two pages worth of stuff of God did this. And we're thankful for this. And God did this. And God did this. And one of the reasons why I so value that is it helps me watch for and prepare for and get ready for the the work of God. My friends, frankly, some of you miss the work of God, don't see the work of God, don't look for the work of God because you don't expect the work of God. And then when God works, you're surprised or you're not ready. And this is the God who is always at work. I can do this. You can do this. Nehemiah did this. And look what he does. At the end of the day, he asks for help. He asks for help from the king. He asks for help from his people, as we'll see in the next couple weeks. He asks for help. Because once again, he didn't focus on what he didn't have. He focused on what he did have. And what did he have? Access to the king. The cupbearer was one of the most trusted, prominent roles for the king because someone was always trying to take his life. Someone was always trying to poison him. And so to be the the cupbearer of of the king was a position of high trust and high relationship. There's a reason the king looked at Nehemiah and instantly knew that something was wrong because he had that kind of relationship with him. Because he cared about him. Maybe even he loved him. But the point of the matter being, Nehemiah asked him, for help, he recognized he has access to the king. Wouldn't that be great if you had that too? And I'd love to have that. Don't we already have that? If you know and love Jesus, if you've received him into your life, do you not have access to the king? Then how come you and I live like we don't? I guess we forget. You and I have access to the king. And too many of us are settling for sin and compromise and half-hearted trust and, and partial obedience and selfishness or we're living in this paralyzing uncertainty and fear and uncertainty and fear can absolutely paralyze and sabotage you from doing anything. Why do we choose to live like that? Is it not time, with it being a new year, time to once again renew our hope in a God who does the impossible, in a God who will meet you and me in our fear, in our failure, despite uncertainty, and accomplish his purposes if we will let him and bless you and me as a result. So I burn my ships. I stand up in front of my friends, and I say, I'm going to be a pastor with no idea what that means, where that's going to go, how that's going to work. I was just being obedient to what God had very clearly told me he wanted to do with my life. And so I'm going to be a pastor. So my plan was I'm going to marry Jamie, and I'm going to find a job that pays the bills, and I'm going to go to seminary. cemetery. I'm sorry, did I say that? Seminary. I'm going to go to seminary, and eventually I'm going to become a pastor. It didn't happen that way. Yeah, that didn't happen. Let me tell you what did happen. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from the executive pastor of the church that I'd grown up in, the church that I served at when I was home and when I was home during the summers. And he had no idea that any of this has happened. In fact, the only people who know are my circle of friends, my pastor, a mentor, and Jamie. That's it. So this guy has no idea what I've decided and what the Lord's told me to do. He calls me up and says, I need to take you out to lunch. Okay, I live 400 miles away at the other end of the state. That's a little odd. So he said, okay. So he comes out and takes me out to lunch two weeks later after I get back from this trip. And he said, Jay, our middle school pastor just unexpectedly resigned. And we would like you to throw your hat in the ring to be our middle school pastor. What a coincidence. Right? No. No, it wasn't a coincidence. As the story goes, and it's a true story, two months later, I'm hired to be the middle school pastor at the church I grew up in, investing into the students like someone had invested into me. End of that year, I marry Jamie. And 32 years later, I stand before you as one of your pastors. And God spoke to me through this book. And he will speak to you. And so as our worship team comes and as our communion servers come forward because we're celebrating communion today, we need to remember that this is a God of hope and this is a God of help. And all you need to receive Jesus into your life is is need. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to be living a certain life. You just have to recognize your need for him. And if you invite him into your life, he will come and he will change your life and you will have access to the king the way the rest of us do who know and love him. I can't think of a better time, better day for you to receive him into your life than today. And I'm gonna lead you into praying how to do that here in just a minute. But for the rest of us, how do you need hope today? How do you need his help? As you come forward to receive these elements, man, man, make this a request of your heart. Make it a renewal of your hope. Make it a request for hope. Make it a request for for help. Because the king wants to bless you. He wants to give you what you need to trust and, and obey him. So let's do that together, and let me lead us in prayer. And as you receive these elements, please take them back to your chairs and hold on to them, and we'll take communion together. For those of you watching, listening online, this is a good time for you to gather those elements yourself. So, Lord, we come to you because we have access to the King. And, Lord, would you please forgive us for settling for sin and selfishness and fear and when we can trust you, when we can have faith in the God, who restores and renews our hope, who rebuilds our walls, who does what he always says he will do, even when it's not on our timeline or even in the way we think. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's watching or listening to this, anyone in the room here who has not made that defining moment decision to receive you into their lives, that they would choose to do so right now just by saying between you and them, Lord, I want you in my life. I thank you that you love me And that you want to come into my life and offer me forgiveness and hope and purpose. And Lord, as the rest of us come forward now to receive these elements, would we be saying with our actions, I want to trust you. I want to have my hope grounded in you. I need your help. Lord, would you work powerfully in us as we choose to trust and obey you? And we ask this in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. So come, receive these elements, and then we'll remember what he's done for us together. We hold in our hand elements of what he has done for each each one of us. We have access to the king because of what the king has done for us. He has removed our sin, our selfishness, and in place, given us his righteousness, power for right living with him and others. And all this he accomplishes through his death, burial, and resurrection. And knowing that this was coming, Jesus in Matthew 26, in his last dinner, his last supper with his disciples, said and did this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. So let's remember. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's remember what he's done for us together. Lord, we are so thankful that because of you, we have access to the King. We are so grateful that you have rescued us from a life of selfishness and sinfulness and brokenness. And you have made us whole. You have given us hope. You are the God who gives us the help that we need to trust you, to love you, to obey you. And we celebrate a God who, owing us nothing, gives us everything. And we remember your goodness here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward one more time. We have a very good tradition here at Grace when we celebrate communion together that we take a second offering and these resources go exclusively to help people who find themselves in a really tough place these these resources literally put food on the table for people who don't have any help people who have lost jobs turn electricity back on repair cars pay medical bills I could go on and on and on but because of your generosity we're able to help people in a tangible way with this offering in particular so we're going to receive this offering and we're going to continue to worship him together And that is so true. Nothing compares to the promise that we have in the king. And we forget that and we lose sight of that. And we need each other to remember that. So I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come forward. On a morning when we talk about prayer, how can we not have prayer teams available, right? But we all need prayer. And so we would invite you to take advantage of this opportunity to pray with someone. You can always pray with who you came with, of course, but we also have folks available up front here if there's anything we can pray for you about. I'd like to leave you with these words that, that really echo throughout Nehemiah because of Nehemiah's willingness to step out in faith in the face of fear, to trust God, to prepare himself, and to expect God to move and then to take advantage of God's work He goes on to say this the God of heaven will give us success we his servants will start rebuilding so let me pray his blessing over you Lord I thank you for each person again who is here who is watching and listening to this there are so many needs and situations that are represented by a gathering of this many of us And I don't know what each person needs, but you sure do. So I pray for all of us that we would look to the king. We would believe the king for what he says. We would believe your promises, even if we're still waiting on them. That we would trust and obey you, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when there's uncertainty, even when we're afraid. Lord, would you help us to renew our hope this morning? in a God who never changes, in a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, in a God who always does what he says he will do. And Lord, for those here who need to rebuild the walls of their life, the walls of their heart, would you strengthen them and grant them success through the power of your spirit and through their willingness to trust and obey you. Lord, we go from here into a world that desperately needs the hope that we have sung about and celebrated and remembered. So give us opportunity to proclaim that hope, to live that hope. And we ask this in the name of the great King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.